hey, guess what? We are going to start a brand new series today. It's called This Is Us, and it's basically a theology of the body of Christ. Ten years, I'm kind of getting nostalgic and, and looking back and that sort of a thing. And so I ask myself, uh, you know, so what is Good Hope Church? You know, I was a philosophy student back in college, and you can kind of tell if I ask questions like that, what is Good Hope Church? You know, we're celebrating 10 years of Good Hope Church, and we're believing for things for the future, but what is the church, and what is the local church, and what is Good Hope Church? Who are we? What does this all mean? How does it all work together? You know, this is a strategic moment to discuss something that's essential to our understanding of how to live as believers in Jesus. So we're going to discuss the theology of the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ and what is our role as individuals and even as churches in the body of Christ? How does that work? What is the church and what is each believer's responsibility to it? This is very important for just our daily living for Christ. What is the church and what is each individual believer's responsibility to the church. And there are a huge variety of approaches among Christians to this question. And I've seen so many different people answer this in so many different ways. And it's just a very, very important to understand what the church is and what our role in the church is as an individual believer, what our responsibility to the church is. If we don't understand that right, it's going to be difficult to live for Christ the right ways. But if we do understand it, it's going to help us to be more productive and more effective in our service to Jesus. So I'm going to try to do my best to describe the process I went through in trying to understand what the church was and get a biblical understanding of what the church is and what our responsibility as believers is to the church. I grew up not as a Christian and then, you know, I got saved, but I didn't understand anything. And there was kind of a process of trying to figure it out over several years that I had to go through. And one of the big questions was, you know, what is the church? What's my responsibility to the church? I mean, do I have to start going to a church that, and I don't know anybody and I need to tithe now? And what, you know, what am I supposed to do? How does this exactly work? It was a big question. And I did ask a bunch of people different questions about that. And I got a whole bunch of different answers, you know, from the straightforward, you know, join a local church, give your tithe to that church, serve in that church and boom, you're in to people saying, ah, you don't need to do anything. You can just believe in Jesus and that's good. And I had home church people and, you know, all kinds of different ideas about all how this all works. And that's what we're going to work through during this series. Hopefully we'll get a good start this week, but there's many, many different things to look at in the scriptures about how this needs to be understood. But let me first talk about my filter as a new believer. So coming from a non-Christian background, I didn't really understand how to look at this topic. And I certainly did not trust the church or fit into the church. It was a group of people that I didn't understand And it was a group of people that I wasn't sure if they were good people or not. To me, it seemed clear that I wasn't one of them. They all seemed to me to act a certain way, to think certain things, and to understand life in a certain way that was different from me. So I didn't feel like I was one of them. And I also felt like the church was misrepresenting 
who Christ was to the world. And so I didn't really have a positive opinion of the church. I didn't fit in, and I thought they were misrepresenting Christ. This perspective that I had was basically driven by two things. The first thing would be some foolish type Christians that I knew. And the second thing was basically a media driven caricaturization of the church. Since I hadn't been part of the church, I knew a few goofy Christians and I knew what the news was saying about Jimmy Swaggart and things like that. And that's basically all the information that I had. So my view of the church was based on some, you know, the vocal odd Christians and what the news was saying, what the media was saying about Christianity. And this created a misconception, a great misunderstanding of what the church was, who they were, what their intentions were. I was just greatly mistaken on my understanding of the church. And how much worse is it now today? I'm talking about 30 years ago, my view of the church was basically a caricaturization that was presented to me by the media and by a few bad examples. What about in today's world, somebody who isn't part of the church, somebody who's a seeker, somebody who's a new believer, but doesn't come from a Christian background, doesn't really know what the church is. What is their view of the church going to be based on social media and other media outlets and just the people maybe that they've interacted with? I think it's even harder today to have a clear picture of what the church is and to have a trust in the church and to understand how the believer fits into the church. That's why I think this is such an important topic, such a significant thing to deal with. Now, when I was a new believer, I had this filter of not trusting the church and not fitting into the church. And I was a bit of a loner, but I did have one thing going for me. I knew what it meant to be part of a team. I knew what it meant to have loyalty to a team. So that was something that would end up being very important to me because that's a big part of fitting in with the church and taking our place as believers. It's understanding who the team is, what the team is, and having a loyalty to that team. So I did have that part going for me. Now, when I was a new believer, and even before I became a believer, I was seeking the Lord. I, somebody was witnessing to me. We recently talked about personal evangelism, and I had an individual basically witness to me and help me learn how to seek after the Lord and read the Bible and things like that. And uh, when I was seeking the Lord, I honestly didn't care if God was real or not. Didn't matter to me one bit. I just thought if God is real, that'd be good information to have. I didn't have the God-sized hole in my heart that I heard other people talking about. It just didn't matter to me. I was completely content to live inside of an atheistic world. I mean, if that's what it is, that's what it is. What difference does it make? What I want. So I, I didn't really care. Uh, but God revealed himself to me. I found out that God was real and that all of these things are there that I hadn't perceived before. And it was incredible. But just like I didn't care if God was real or not, I didn't care who was right. I didn't care what church, what denomination, what flavor, what structure. I didn't care. It didn't matter to me one bit. I basically told that to my wife. You know, this is when we're first married, you know, might have been just before we got married, after we got married, right in that period of time. Again, that's many years ago. We've been married 29 years now, long time ago. 
I just told her, you know what? I don't care who's right. Whoever's right, we're going to hook up with them. You know, if the Catholics are right, we're going to become Catholic. If the Jehovah's Witnesses are right, we're going to become Jehovah's Witnesses. If the Muslims are right, we're going to become Muslims. I don't care who's right. We're just going to try to figure it out and we're going to join up with whoever it is. And that scared her a little bit as a good Christian girl. You know, she's like, ah, what are you saying? You know, I didn't care. Well, I don't want to be wrong because I'm trying to defend some group that other people want me to be part of. And that wasn't something I was interested in at all. I just wanted to know what is the truth. I want to be part of the thing that's true. So I pray to prayer. I encourage people to pray, but also I encourage you when you pray to talk to trusted Christian friends who can evaluate whether or not you're on track. Because sometimes when people pray, they come up with something a little weird and, uh, I'm thankful. I believe that God spoke to me in this instance in a very significant way. And uh, I just am thankful, Lord, that you showed me this. But I prayed this prayer. I prayed, Lord, who's right? I don't care who's right. I just want to hook up with the proper group. I don't want to hook up with the wrong group. I want to be in the right group. So show me who's right. And just instantly, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I just instantly knew the answer. And the answer was, nobody's right. That was the answer that I I heard in my heart to that question, who's right? What did that mean? Because that could be taken in a variety of different ways. Let me tell you what nobody's right meant to me. People are people and God is God. And if I'm looking for a denomination or a church to be holy embodiment of God on earth, then I'm barking up the wrong tree because Jesus was the fullness of God on earth. But the followers of Jesus are not. (laughs) The the church, the people trying to serve God in their various different groups all have different flaws, all have different things wrong with them. All are imperfect in various ways. Now, of course, there's a variety of imperfections and flaws. Some flaws are quite severe. Some flaws, I believe, are inside the disputable matters category, and that there are many denominations and many churches that are inside of that flawed but still effectively following Jesus category. So I'm not talking about weird cults and evil stuff that's in the guise of religion, but this category of flawed Groups of people trying to follow Jesus as honestly as they can, trying to follow the scriptures as honestly as they can, having differences, having flaws, but trying. And so when I heard from God that none of them are right, really what it did for me was it took the pressure off. I don't have to find the perfect denomination, the perfect church, because there isn't a perfect denomination. There isn't a perfect church. Jesus was perfect on earth. God is perfect. But if we put that on the group of people now, they're not going to be able to live up to it. So it freed me to participate because I can join a church that's not perfect. I can be part of a denomination that's not perfect. Now I want to pick one that I'm in line with, that I believe in the principles of, and that isn't, you know, going off into crazy cult stuff and all of that, you know, but it it set me free to not have to worry about finding the perfect church. Because back then I was super strict and I wanted everything to be just right. And I was looking for the perfect church. And the reality is that God is perfect. People are not. And as we endeavor to follow Christ, we'll do so in a flawed way. And if we understand that, we can participate without expecting the church to be perfect. So that's what that prayer did for me. It was super, super important. And then also 
I had various other experiences going on during this period. There was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I experienced, brought me into a new way of relating to God and really gave me that heart transplant that I needed to go from a critical spirit, from an angry spirit into somebody who could humbly follow Christ and love other people. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit was essential for me to be able to have a humble heart and a kind heart and a loving heart towards the imperfect church. And then also in that period of time, in my early years as a a follower of Jesus, just kind of learning the basics is also when I decided to trust the Bible as the holy inspired inerrant word of God, where I decided, okay, I'm going to read the Bible as a higher authority than my opinion. So if my opinion is different from what the Bible says, I'm going to trust the Bible. Those two things, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and choosing to believe in the Bible set me up to form a coherent theology of the body of Christ. That was kind of my process to get started. So here we go. Are you ready for Pastor Mike's theology of the body of Christ? Spoiler alert. I'm going to give you one phrase and it's going to basically define the rest of this whole sermon series. But of course, there's different ways that we make mistakes with applying this and understanding this. But here we go. Spoiler alert. This will give you all the information you need for the next several weeks. And it is simply this. The theology that I will propose of the body of Christ is this, that there is one body with many parts. That is the theology that I see in the scriptures, the best I can understand what the church is, what the followers of Jesus are on earth, that there was one body with many parts, many parts, one body. Let me read some verses for us so that we can understand where I got that from. Let's go to first Corinthians chapter 12. Today, I'm just going to read verses 12 and 13 from this. So this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth. And he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body. So it is with Christ for we were all baptized by one spirit. So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. So Here, Paul is talking about a physical body, the human body, and how the human body is one body, but with many different parts. You know, you've got ears and eyes, your nose, your mouth, you got your teeth and your tongue, and you got hands and feet and elbows and bones and muscles and different lungs and heart and all this stuff. You got all these different things, but there's still just one body. My body is one body, many different parts. That's how it is with Jesus. There's one body, one group. The church, you know, is one big group with many different parts because we've all been baptized by one spirit into the one body. Whoever we are, Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given of the one spirit to drink. So all those who drink of the Holy Spirit are part of the same body. And then let's go to a very, very similar concept in Romans chapter 12. Same concept, actually, just stated in a very similar way. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, 
form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So again, the human body as an example of one body with many members, you know, again, fingers and hands and, you know, arms and eyes and ears, heart and lungs and feet and all the different parts that form the one body. And here it says, so in Christ, we, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So this finger is part of the body and belongs to the body as well as my right foot and uh, my left lung and what all part of the body belonging to each other. So one body, many parts. So how many bodies are there? Big quiz. How many bodies? There's one, one body, just one, only one, one body with many parts. So when we look at what is the church, what is the body of Christ? What is the group of believers on this earth? They're all part of one thing, one body, but many different parts. So if you're a believer in Jesus, do you belong to the one body? Yes, you do. If there's only one and everyone who believes in Jesus is part of the one body, then you belong to the body of Christ. Do you have any choices about that? No, you do not. You can either believe in Jesus, be a Christian and be part of the body, or you have to reject Christ to not be part of the body. You can't be a Christian and not be part of the body. All Christians are part of the body. There is one body, only one, and everyone who is a believer in Jesus belongs to it. One body. Clear on that? All right. One body. How many parts are there? Many. (laughs) Lots of parts. In fact, lots of different types of parts, all kinds of different types of parts. And I believe the same analogy as the body can be brought into the depth of it, just like, say, your heart has different muscle groups in it, different cell groups in it. It's got blood vessels in it and different things in it. And then each Subpart of the heart also has subparts in it that the heart has many parts that all do a different function. And the, the blood vessels going through the heart have many parts that have different functions. And so I think you can see that there is the, the one body with many parts. Some of those parts are very complex that have other parts. And then those parts have other parts and we can get all the way down into the individual cells and the parts of the individual cells. And that is the variety and diversity of the body of Christ. One body, many parts, many different parts. They're not the same, many different parts. So if you're a believer in Jesus, Do you need to be the same as all the other believers in Jesus? Well, you need to believe in Jesus. But after that, there are tremendous differences. Do you need to be able to sing in order to worship God? Nope. You don't need to know how to sing. You don't need to be a good singer. You don't need to have rhythm in order to be able to worship God. There are different parts, different ways to serve, different workings. You don't need to be exactly the same as all the other believers. This is one of the pieces of the caricature that I was taught. All Christians are the same. You know, they all have the same mustache. They all stand very straight and hold their Bibles like this, you know, and, and, 
That's just not the case. You got tatted up, you know, long-haired Christians, and you got straight-laced Christians, and you've got lots of different types of people living their lives in a variety of different ways inside of the teachings of the scriptures that are all part of the body of Christ. So important. One body, many different parts. Do you need to be involved in the exact same activities as the other believers in order to be part of the body? No, you can be involved in different things. You can be serving in different ways. But one thing is very, very important. Since there's one body and many parts, all the parts work together to form one body. Like, for example, let's say that my heart quit beating. I said, well, I don't really like the body. I'm not going to be part of the body anymore. And so just stops. It's going to affect everything else. The body functions when every part works together, when every part is healthy and strong and taking their place in the body All of the parts must work together in forming the one body. So there's one body and many different parts. What is Good Hope Church? Is Good Hope Church the body of Christ? No, it's not the body, but a part of the body of Christ with other parts as well. So we have the greater body of Christ, the believers around the world, And then let's say we have the believers in the Cloquet area, just to use our Cloquet campus. And the Cloquet area, I believe, I think it's clear, and we'll go through this in the weeks to come, that Good Hope Church is one of the parts of the body of Christ in the Cloquet area. That we also have other parts that have names like Journey Christian Church, Grace Church, River of Life, Arise, you know, different churches, And they are different parts of the one body. Now, each one of these parts is complex, has many people involved in it, but it's just a part. Good Hope Church is just a part of the body, not the whole body. So here's an important piece of my understanding of a biblical theology of the body of Christ is that the local church is one of the parts of the one body. So Good Hope Church is one of the parts of the one body. And Good Hope Church is part of the Assemblies of God. I love the Assemblies of God. I joined the Assemblies of God. Got my ministerial credentials in the Assemblies of God. I greatly appreciate the Assemblies of God. I do not expect the Assemblies of God to be perfect based on the prayer I prayed before that I told you about. The Assemblies of God is not the body, but it is part. It is a part of the body of Christ. So denominations, local churches, various ministries are different parts of the one body because there is only one body. And if we're going to say that we are the body and that this church, you know, like we'll just use grace and journey and river of life and arise and new life, you know, just as some examples If we're to say, no, they aren't part of the body, then we're saying they aren't even part of Christianity. And that's way too far. Of course, as believers, that they're a part of the body of Christ, just like we are. So there's one body with many parts. Good Hope Church is one of the parts. And Good Hope Church has many different parts inside of it that are all part of Good Hope Church. And they are part of the greater body of Christ. I heard a teaching that I feel like is a good way of understanding this. 
And it's the idea of a dream within a dream, you know, the inception concept, a dream within a dream. Now God has a dream. He's got a plan for what's going on on this earth. And if we want to get on board with his plan, then we need to fit inside of God's dream or God's plan and be people who trust Jesus, who are serving Jesus, who believe in Jesus. Then there might be people who trust and are serving Jesus who aren't part doing exactly the same thing. You know, they're maybe not doing exactly the same thing. So like Grace is doing what Grace is doing. Journey is doing what Journey is doing. Good Hope is doing what Good Hope is doing. And we have the ability to reach different types of people, but we're all still working together cooperatively for the body of Christ. Now, inside of Good Hope Church, we've got our worship teams and our prayer teams and kids workers and youth workers and all the different ministries that are going on inside of Good Hope Church. Now, those people that are serving in those ministries need to fit inside of the dream of Good Hope Church. Otherwise, maybe it might fit better in grace, might fit better at journey, might fit better at river of life. So you want to find the place that you fit. Don't feel pressured to be part of something where you don't fit because Good Hope Church isn't the body of Christ, but only a part of it. And so you can go find out where you fit. And it isn't a bad, dangerous, terrible thing. We've had people come to church, quit Good Hope, go somewhere else, but they're still part of the body of Christ. And especially when they do so in a cooperative way, it can be a beautiful thing because I just want people to find their place and have their place of prosperity in Jesus and be functioning as good, solid believers. And if we have that understanding that there's one body, that Good Hope doesn't say own everybody. Now we're just a part and people sometimes move around and it's okay do it in the right way. You can move around in the wrong way, but you can move around in the right way as well. So there's one body with many different parts. There's the greater body of Christ. And then there are the different parts. Some parts are large, like the assemblies of God. And then there are smaller parts in that, like Good Hope Church. And then you've got Converge, you know, and you've got Grace Baptist and you've got the FCA and you've got Journey Christian Church, and then you've got the ministries inside of those, but they're all inside of the body of Christ. Hugely important to understand that a dream within a dream. So one body, many parts, denominations are parts, churches are parts, ministries are parts, individuals are parts of the body. We all belong to each other. So there's lots to cover with this. We'll cover more in the weeks to come, but I want to close with a prayer that Jesus prayed in the gospel of John. Now to set this up, I want to read the verses just after this prayer closes so that you can understand the context of it. When is Jesus praying? His prayer is through the end of chapter 17. So the beginning of chapter 18 of the gospel of John says this verses one through three, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden And he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So this is the prayer that Jesus prays as recorded in the Gospel of John just before he's going to get arrested. We know he prayed other prayers as well, but this is one of the prayers that he prayed. 
He's praying for his disciples, for the believers, the people who are following him. I'm going to start in verse 16. He's praying, Jesus is praying for his disciples because he knows he's going to be taken away. And he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So Jesus is believing that his followers will be sanctified followers of him and will bring the truth into the world. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they, they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus prays that the believers, the people who would follow him in the future, which would be me and I hope you following Jesus today, he prayed for us that we would be so united that it would be a oneness, a unity akin to the unity of God, the father and Jesus, the son. That's some tight unity. That is the prayer of Jesus, that there would be one unified body, many different parts many different parts, but one unified body. The body is to be a tight group. Even for those who don't know each other, we're just family that haven't met each other yet. We need to be cheering for each other, helping each other, loving each other. This is what Jesus prayed for. And this is what I want to pray for that the body of Christ, the church, the one body of believers would stand together. So pray with me. We're going to close with that. Heavenly father, thank you for your goodness. You know, if you're watching right now and you have not given your life to Jesus, I encourage you right now to just ask for Jesus to forgive your sins and to be Lord of your life and pledge your life to walk with him. If you do that, then you're in, you're one of the believers, you're part of the body. And Lord, for each of us as different parts who sometimes don't understand each other, sometimes don't get along in perfect ways. Lord, help us to be one because there is only one body with many different parts. Lord, for us as different parts, help us to love one another, help us to cheer for one another, help us to help and support one another, help us to see your purposes as greater than ours as the individual parts but let us see the value of the whole and your glorious plan, Lord Jesus, that we could walk in your ways and encourage and strengthen each other in love. Lord, bless us in this way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.